Um, we're not going to have your Bible reading as such, but if you have your Bible, so you could have them ready. I'm going to turn to the group of Esther, and it's on 354, if you have a church Bible. It's roughly just before the middle of your Bible. It's not the easiest group to find. It comes after Nehemiah and just before Job. We should really learn the choruses in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Deuteronomy, Samuel, Samuel, King, King, Chronicle, Chronicles. And where we're coming, we're coming to it, yeah. That's it, you've got it. That's where you are. So you've got time to find that. And what I want to do uh, this morning is do something which is slightly different. If you keep your Bibles open at the Book of Esther, I want us to sort of walk through it together and it's good to let the Bible speak for itself because these words are important so Stu uh, get back there back to your seat because we move the program around a little bit as we are prone to do sometimes but never mind I think it's important that this book is very often neglected um, and it's good to take odd sections from it. But we're going to, over the weeks, go through the whole book. And in order to do that, I want us to understand the real reason the book of Esther is here in the Bible. I want us to understand what it's actually saying. I want us to understand what God is saying to us through this book. And I did say last week, if you look through the book of Esther, you'll see something missing. And what is missing, this might surprise you, what is missing is God mentioned directly. Now, there's a thought, isn't it? And you might be thinking, why is this book here if God is not mentioned directly? Well, the reason is, and we'll look at that together, that God is actually here in the book of Esther. And he's doing a wonderful work in the book of Esther. And the work that he does in the book of Esther, if he hadn't done that work, then the tribe of Judah might have been annihilated. And if the tribe of Judah had been annihilated, then we all know what would have happened. We know what wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have a saviour, Jesus. That's how important this group of Esther is. What was your favourite subject in school? Come on, I think Stella's was geography. Yeah, I got a little nod there. Might be it was maths. Well, no, not maths. What about history? Well, I didn't really like history because we did, first of all, British history, all those kings and queens and the dates. I couldn't hack that. But then we moved on to another subject. Oh, this would be great. We moved on to parliamentary history. Gladstone, William Pitt, Pitt the Younger. Oh, those names and dates and laws that were brought out during the time that they were prime minister. But what about this? What about world history? Now there's a thing. That's a big subject. World history. I hinted at earlier. 
Do you realise that you and I are part of world history? Do you realise that? That's how important we are. We are part of world history. You think, ah, I'm not. Okay. Let me ask you this. Can you remember where you were when President Kennedy was shot? You probably can. Yeah. In my lifetime. What about the the newspapers when you woke up to the reading about the Chernobyl disaster? Yeah. What about the TV footage of the Avalon tragedy in Mediterranean? Yeah. You're part of world history, whether you like it or not. You're here. We. That's you and I are all part of world history and the truth is we are part of history you're saying you just said that no i didn't i said you're all part of history but you're also all part of his story see the difference god's story it's not sort of away from history it is in all of history it's his story and the accounts that we read in the bible they're not fiction they're part of his god's story and they are part of history our story do you get that story of a perfect world a perfect world that god created a perfect world that was corrupt by sinful man and a perfect world that will one day be with him in glory. But not everyone. Because the world is not perfect. But a world in which a Saviour came. The promise of a Messiah. A deliverer. The one who is Jesus. The book of Esther. The book of Esther takes us to a time in world history when the Babylonian Empire fell to the Medes and Persians. This is prior to the emergence of what would become the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. Southern Kingdom of Judah, okay, we're in the Bible now, had spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon, which is actually modern-day Iraq. You want to have a look on the map. And when Babylon was defeated by the Medes and the Persians, the Persian king, Cyrus, oh, he's in the Bible. He's also in the history books. He's surprised? He shouldn't be. King Cyrus allowed the Jewish exiles to return to Jerusalem. Why? To rebuild what Babylon had destroyed. And this was in the days of Zerubbabel, great name, isn't it? He's in the Bible. You haven't heard him before. Have a look up and find out what he did. Ezra, you've heard of Ezra, one of the prophets, yeah? Nehemiah, yeah. See, it's, it's not removed from church history because it's his story. And the exiles went back to Jerusalem and when they got there, they faced great opposition. From who? The enemies of Judah. Remember that. Listen to what we read in Ezra. This is Ezra chapter 4, verse 4 and 6. This is what he said. 
Then the people around them, these are the ones who went back to Jerusalem to rebuild what Babylon had destroyed. Then the people around them set out to this, the people, that's the people, the other people who were there when God's people set out to rebuild. Then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrated their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia, at the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, king of Persia. They lodged an accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do you have the Bible names there? This is what was happening in Jerusalem when God's people who had returned to rebuild the city, they were under threat. But not only them, the promise that God had given of a deliverer through the tribe of Judah. Judah was under threat. These people wanted to annihilate these descendants of Judah. But God would see them. They didn't succeed because the tribe of Judah survived. And it was during the reign of Xerxes, we just read his name, that the events recorded in the book of Esther took place in the city of Susa in Persia. Now many of God's people who had taken up the offer of King Cyrus to return to Jerusalem, they actually remained in what was now Persia. And they settled down to live a comfortable life in what to them at that time was a, a, a free place to live after coming out of slavery. Now they settled down in Persia under the Persian king. See, God had made the way open for them to return to their own land, but those who chose to stay in Persia saw it being easier than up sticks and going back to Jerusalem. That's why they were there. Some may have been given positions of authority under this new regime, under this new government. Some possibly were. Others might have just decided, well, we may as well stay. In the book of Esther, we're introduced to the Persian king. His Hebrew name is Ahasuerus. In some of your versions it might say Ahasuerus, because that is actually his name. That is his Hebrew name, but he's known as King Xerxes. That would have been his Persian name. So in Esther chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 1 to 3. And I want you to think about this in the light of what we've just looked at and what we've been saying. And here we're going to see a powerful man. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who lived had ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. And at that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the city of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Medea, the princes and the nobles of the province were present. Now, put that in today's language. You see, first of all, Babylon 
was what is now known as Iraq. Persia was what we know today as Iran. And Xerxes' kingdom stretched. It actually stretched from what we know today as Egypt right across to India and everything in between. Get a map and have a look at that. That is a big kingdom. The Mede-Persian kingdom. You know, you can read all about this in your history books. It's better to read about it in the Bible because there's a message here. And he gave a banquet. This wasn't just a, a, an ordinary banquet. This is what we would call today a world leaders' conference. Yeah. We see that quite a lot, don't we? Bring that into our day. This was a world leaders' conference. It wasn't only food that was on the table. These people who were there, they controlled the commercial, the financial, and the military streams of the then known world. You get a picture of the power that's here in the book of Esther. But there's a greater power behind this. And the greater power is God. Look at some of the conferences that go on in our day. Look at the power of these nations who gather together. Look at the strength that they have. But there's one who is stronger. And that is our God. Verse 48. King Xerxes was a wealthy man. Oh, you want to know about wealth? Well, go, I don't know, go around some of the uh, National Trust places. Yeah. See if you can get a visit into um, Buckingham Palace, as the Americans would say. I'm going to Buckingham Palace. You know, see the wealth there. Okay. Listen to this. Listen to this. For the full 180 days, that's about six months. In fact, it's just over six months. He displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. This wasn't a half a day trip. This was a six months show off, if you like. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace to all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. These were there were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry. Porphyry is a, a hard rock which has crystals in it which you can polish down. Porphyry, marble, mother of pear, and other costly stones. He was an extravagant man. Wine was served, goblets of gold, each one different from the other. And the royal wine was in abundance, in keeping with the king's liberty. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink without restriction, for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. The king was a generous man. And we know a lot about King Xerxes, and we're told a lot about him. But here's something. 
This book of Esther is not about King Xerxes. No matter how rich or how powerful he is, it's not about him. We're only told these things so we can understand what God was about to do. Verse 1 to 9, we move from king to queen. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. And why not? Why not? You know, all the, all the men were there. Why couldn't the women have a banquet? All these important women. So that's good. The women would have been excluded from these important matters. You know, the things of wealth, finance, military power. They didn't want to know all about that. And even if they did, they wouldn't be allowed to. Because this is the society in Persia, and we need to understand this in order to understand the root of Esther. Well, verse 10 to 12, we move on just a week later. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, Mahaham, Bizatha, Habona, Vigatha, Abagatha, Zephyr, and Caucasus, to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing a royal crown. Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? But this isn't about Queen Vashti. This, what happens next, is all about King Xerxes. And there's the rub. As the passage goes on, it gives us the reason. In order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Okay, ladies, if you're all listening up, I'm sure you are. I bet some of you are going, good on you, girl. <laughs> you are, I can tell by the smiles. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. We've got a trouble brewing here. The king is angry. Verse 13 through to 14. And we need to understand these things because we need to understand the lifestyle of Persia and about the laws of Persia and how important the laws were to the Persians. But there's a greater law, and that is God's law. And we're going to see that appear. But God's name will be mentioned. Some reasons that this might be the case, and we will maybe point to them as we go through the passage. But just for this morning, since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the times. Get that. You know, in our day, we are subject to the wise men who understand the times. But do they understand the times? I don't think they do, but God does. And they were closest to the king, Kashina, Shethor, Admapa, Tarshish, Mesid, Messina, Mamunkin, the seven nobles of Persia, Persia and Media, who had special access to the king and were highest in the kingdom. 
verse 15. According to the law, what must be done to Queen Vashti? He asked. That is a good question. The king is making himself subject to the law. This was very much a Persian thing. That's how important the law was to them, their law. According to the law, what must be done to Queen Vashti, he asked. She's not obeyed the command of King Xerxes that the youth had taken to her. And let me read on in verse 16 and 18. As I said, it's good to let Scripture speak for itself, isn't it? That's what we're doing this morning. Then Mamukan replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against the nobles and the peoples of all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women. And so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought to before him, but she wouldn't come. You see, this very day, the Persian and the Median women of the nobility who have heard about the Queen's conduct will respond to the King's noble, nobles and say the same way. And there will be no end of the discomfort and disrespect. Right, so we've got a problem here. And the King has now got to abide by the law of the land, which he does. And this is what they said to him. The decree is going to be issued. Therefore, now remember this decree, ah, they'll appear later and they will be just as important as this one, but with a very different outcome. If you want to know the answer to these, you know, read through the book of Esther as well. But we're going to go through it together on a Sunday like this. Now, therefore, it pleased the king, let him issue, if it pleased the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed. Get that? Remember that. Keep that up there. That Vashti is never again to enter the presence of the king, Xerxes. Also, let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. And when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all the vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. This is Persian war in the days, way back. And we've got to understand how Persian war worked. In able to understand not just the story of Esther, but the importance and the depth of what God is doing in the book of Esther. The king and his nobles were pleased with this advice, so the king did as Mamukan proposed. He sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom, to each province in its own script, and to each people in their own language, proclaiming that every man should be ruler over his own household using his native tongue. All the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed. Everyone. Everyone, no one is excluded. You haven't got an excuse if you speak a different language. It's going to be written in your language. Everyone, everyone is going to hear this. And he sent dispatches to all parts of his kingdom, to each province, in their own script, 
to each people in their own language. And this confirms how far his authority extended. Remember we said all the way from Egypt to India and everything in between. All those different peoples, all those different languages. And this went out. Now just as I round this off for this morning, because you might think that we come for a history lesson. Yeah, you've come for his history lesson. Not all the history, but yeah, they're all there. Go and read them. It's a good interest. I've read through loads of them and all about these the, 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 these kings and what they did. This King Xerxes, he was great, you know. He, he, the battles he, he fought, he'd only just come on the throne and he saw the threat of the Greek Empire. And the Greeks had already done a bit of damage to his land and he went and sorted them. You know, it, it's all there, but this is the important bit. The author of the book is obviously a Jew who has great knowledge of. of Persian customs and the Persian law and the Persian way of life. And we get a free flavour of this as we go through the book. And you might ask, well, if it's not all about King Xerxes, what is the purpose of the book? We're going to give you something to think about. And you think about this if you read through the book. And we'll think about it as we go through the book. The heart of the book is that God's people here in Persia, they don't know it yet. They think they're okay. But God's people here in Persia are in great danger. And they're going to need God's help. Just like their brothers and sisters way back in Jerusalem who were trying to build the city. They're not removed from what's going on back in Jerusalem. Because they are God's people here in this foreign land. And God will not abandon them. If the tribe of Judah was annihilated, as I said before, then the promise to a sinful world of a Messiah would not be fulfilled. The rulers of this world are not in control of things today. They think they are, and on a human level they are. But there's a level above that. God's promise will be and has been fulfilled. As world history tells us, and we've had a look at that this morning, so does Dr. Luke's history tell us. I know it's not Christmas yet, but I want us to think of what we're going to read now in the last couple of minutes. Think of it, not removed from the book of Esther, but being joined to the book of Esther. Because God has one complete plan. And these are both elements of God's one complete plan for you and I. The book of Esther and the book of Luke. Listen to what we read. Luke 2, verse 1 to 7. In those days, right? These are the days of Luke, right? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree 
that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Right. That's the government in control. And they're making things not so easy for a certain couple who, who are about to have a baby. This is probably the worst time for them. A historical event. A real time. A real place and real people. And Joseph and Mary are probably thinking, where's God? We don't doubt that what is happening to us is God's will. But why did he have to send a census now? Mary's heavenly pregnant. We've got to get from where we are now to where we've got to be in order to make some official statement to the government of the day. Who's in charge here? Cyrenius, oh God. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph thinking like that? I think we might, you know, still trusting in God, but thinking... Hey Lord, why now? Why this? Why, why? Okay, why is it happening? Why? So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Now here it comes. Because he belonged to the house and line of David. The descendant of Judah. He got that. Luke's telling us that. Maybe for future generations. It wouldn't be enough for Luke to tell us that. Oh, it was more than just Luke who was telling us that. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. A man and a woman going to register at the request of the Roman government to prove what? To prove to history that they are of the tribe of Judah. Just as history tells us. Do you get that? You see how history in our history books is not away from God's word. God's word, his story, is the real story. And there is other evidence there. Not that we need that evidence, but it's there. Just like all the archaeologists of the late 1800s started to dig up things and names and places that hadn't existed anywhere in history until they were dug up out of the sun and they concurred with God's word. Cyrus, Darius, Xerxes, Persia, Babylon. Well, they were there at the time when the baby was born. This was a hard time. Thirty years after that birth, there would be another event that would happen 
in God's time. Listen to this from Romans 5 verse 6 and 7. And I'm going to finish with this. Because the things of Esther, historical things, were happening in God's time. At God's time. The things that happened in Bethlehem when that baby was born were happening in God's time. The things that happened when Jesus hung on the cross happened in God's time. And these things happened for you and I in our time. So you are part of not just secular history, but his story. Here's the finish. Romans 5, 6 and 7. Just at the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Well, for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, and this is for us this morning, demonstrates his own love for us, it's you and me, in this. While we were still sinners, which we are, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what happened? That's when he paid the price for you and I. Yes, we still sin. There's still a price to pay. And those who do not come to Christ or come to God in the name of Jesus, in the name of Christ, will have to pay that price. And I stand before God and see him as your judge. But if you accept Jesus as your Savior, then we'll stand before him. And God won't see the sin. You just see Jesus and the blood that he shed on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. and We do thank you for the importance of every word that is in our Bible. Thank you for this book of Esther. And we pray that as we go through it, we will understand what was happening there. We can see what you did. You did for a people who needed your help and you were there to help. Now, Father, we thank you that you are the one who is the deliverer, the Saviour, and that we can come to you in his name, as we do this morning. We ask these things in your precious name.